This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? I'm well. What's up with you, Chad? Uh, it's starting to cool off a little bit in Texas, which is nice. Um, you're getting ready to come this way, aren't you? Yeah, bright and early in the morning. Um, we are not recording at our normal super late hour today. It is merely 7.20 in the evening. I am flying out. Um, I'll be in the air in 12 hours. So, uh, Awesome. Pretty early flight. I've got like a 5.30 or 6 a.m. flight. So <laughs> getting ready to go home for a little bit. Yeah, to be fair, our super late normal recording time is usually my fault. But <laughs> <laughs> And it's an hour later here. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we, we are a little bit earlier today. So shout out to our Patreon supporters. We have started to receive receipt of you all receiving your stickers and letters that we sent out. If you have gotten your sticker, reach out to us. Say, hey, we got our sticker. Show us a picture of it. Show whatever you end up doing with the sticker. We'd love to see it. So keep an eye out for that in your mail for that. There have been several people to reach out so far uh, just off the top of my head. So forgive me if I don't mention you. We've gotten word from Katrina and Caitlin and Leslie and Greg for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only ones I remember right now. I'm sorry if I don't mention you. But anyways, watch your mail. And then we've also gotten lots of interaction on Twitter and email over the last week, which is cool. Yeah, thanks to Mandy, Greg, Gabriel, John, Roberto, Ariel, Brian, and Alex, just to name, I think, everyone. <laughs> Again, sorry <laughs> if we forgot. We have a few platforms. Um, yeah, thanks for reaching out. It's always good to um, hear from you guys and especially see those stickers. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into our episode discussion. First up is Koi Pond. It aired on October 29th of 2009, was directed by Reggie Hudlin, which is a new name to me. I don't recall seeing them before, so it might be a first-time director to the show. But it was written by our familiars, uh, Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stipnitsky. Jim has a meeting with a client who has made it clear that they don't want just Jim as he's new to management. So Michael comes along and Jim is not pleased. When they come back from the meeting, Michael is soaking wet after having fallen into a koi pond in the client's office. The office teases Michael relentlessly for this and Jim suggests that Michael tease himself a little bit so that the office will stop. When footage comes out of Michael's fall, it is obvious that Jim had the opportunity to help Michael but lets him fall anyway. Jim confesses to Michael that he wishes he was as trusted a manager and salesman as much as Michael is, and the two reconcile. Also, it should be noted that um, originally, and sometimes you, you'll see it on office quotes and floating around the internet, if you see a uh, deleted scene, or what looks like a deleted scene, of um, a warehouse, haunted house, this is originally where that came from. So I'm going to mention it now because it's not really a deleted scene um, as it doesn't make it into the deleted scenes on the DVD. Yes, that's where that's from. Um, it didn't make it for <laughs> sort of ethical reasons, basically. Um, they had a sort of gruesome death of Michael. He was faking his own death that uh, was a little too realistic. So they chose not to put it in, in, the, in the show. Yeah, it, it was definitely an issue of Michael's uh, lack of sensitivity going just a little bit too far as to fake a suicide in order to scare children. 
And it's very clear that it was a poor case of judgment, I think. Even for The Office, it was just uh, a little too racy, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's ultimately for the better that it was cut. There are a couple funny gags in it. It's the famous Jim Bookface character costume and lots of other fun costumes. So if you can check it out, the link is, uh, or the, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's on the official The Office YouTube page if you want to watch that. So look in the show notes. You can watch that video if you've never seen it before or just revisit it. But going into the episode, Jim is on the phone with this company that they're meeting or with Raskin design. He's expecting to go by himself and they say, no, we want Michael to come too. And so he's on the phone trying to resolve this issue. And he says, Michael and I are actually on the same level. And we see Michael sort of out of the corner of his eye, look at the camera and just lightly shake his head. Why is it so hard for Michael to grasp the concept of co manager co it's not head manager and assistant manager or assistant to the regional manager, they are equal by title. They both carry the same exact title. Michael just, he, he doesn't like to think of himself as inferior to anyone. And being the sole manager, I think, just placed him sort of in his mind, at least, automatically above everyone else. And now he doesn't have that. And I kind of have to wonder here, I just thought of this, but I wonder if he would have had an easier time um, being co-manager if they had hired somebody in rather than promoting from within because he sees Jim as his subordinate and now Jim is his equal and he can't handle it. I don't know that it would have gone any better necessarily because we've seen how Michael handled things like Charles, uh, mm-hmm. who was an outside hire. That didn't go well either. So not necessarily uh, a good thing or a bad thing. But we do see that Michael absolutely loves that Raskin Design wants Michael to come in with Jim. He's kind of fighting through... Um, a smile. He's trying not to smile. Like, oh, that's so weird that they want me to come. And he's clearly really excited about it. Yeah, he asks, why do they want me to come too? I don't understand. And it's this poorly concealed smile, side eye to the camera. It's like he wants Jim to validate this company's decision to have him come along. But Jim just doesn't give him the satisfaction, says, I have no idea. I do not understand either, Michael, why they're insisting that you come along. And so they go to the meeting and the whole koi pond incident happens and they come back and we just, it's reiterated how Michael just does not have the ability to laugh at himself. Like straight up, he cannot handle it. And Jim suggested something that I think it was wise to laugh at yourself. I was thinking about this as I was watching the episode. Like, okay, little middle school or or elementary school Katie, if I could go back and change one thing, like, be able to laugh at yourself and people will laugh at you less, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what Michael, sorry, that's what Jim was trying to uh, teach Michael. But he just, he's not able to, to, to do that. And especially when the entire office is ganging up on him and all making the same jokes all day long. And we know Michael's tolerance for being the butt of the joke. He's used to being the face of the joke, right? So um, it's, it's really not easy for him. He, he tries to defend himself, Michael does, and he gives excuses and he, he then gets offended by everyone else's reactions and he makes it worse because, you know, people who are teasing are just trying to elicit a reaction and, man, they're getting one from Michael. He, he just makes it worse. But at the same time, I, I couldn't help but sympathize a little bit because we know that Michael had a rough childhood. He didn't have very many friends. His dad left. He didn't get along with Jeff, his stepdad. And I imagine, I have to imagine that 
he was teased as a child too, or bullied in some capacity. Uh, and so this instance specifically is probably bringing up some sort of painful memory from his past where he was teased or bullied as a kid. And, um, it's as this teasing intensifies, he becomes more and more upset. It goes to the conference room meeting where he creates a do not mock list. And, uh, part of me wants to say that Michael is being overdramatic with this, his, this approach, this idea of having a no tolerance for, at least in Michael's eyes, just a specific set of things. Like if, if people say, don't be, they don't want to be teased about this specific thing, then they shouldn't. And I agree with that. I, I do think it's a little limited in scope. But, you know, I'm a middle school teacher. I see kids get teased all the time. And some are just more sensitive to it than others. And you have to be response, You have to be respectful of that. And so I, I agree with Michael's philosophy is basically what I'm saying. Not 100% in his approach, but at least the the innocence and the idea of it. And of course, I think Michael is feeling vulnerable for a number of reasons, um, not least of which is having fallen into the Koi Pond in the first place, but that's A. B, the office now knows about it and they're teasing him. And C, Jim was kind enough to lend him a suit, which is far too big for him. Um, and now he feels like, you know, a kid in his dad's clothes or something. He's just drowning and, well, bad choice of words, but he's just drowning in this suit. So he's had a rough day and the the suit, I think, for whatever reason, is just like the the straw that broke the camel's back to me. It's not really mentioned in the episode, but that's just sort of how I visualize it is there's one more thing. He's in somebody mm-hmm. else's clothes and they don't fit. And that's just, that's rough. Because <laughs> um, now everyone's looking at him and it's just a visual reminder that, oh yeah, he fell into a koi pond. He calls this conference room meeting, quote, sensitivity training. But then he goes and writes things like huge gut for Kevin not wanting to be mocked for his weight. Like if you want, if you're trying to avoid somebody being mocked, you don't write something like huge gut. Oh, you got to be more specific, huge gut. Uh, so he, he still has some growing up to do in that regard. He, he still isn't completely sensitive to other people's feelings himself. Uh, and that does go into Jim giving the advice for Michael to make fun of himself. And the idea behind that is sound. It's if you make fun of yourself, it makes it less interesting for others, right? And Michael just like Andy, and we'll talk about him in a few minutes, uh, he goes way too far with it. And he dredges up old memories of being teased, of being thrown in a frozen lake for four years straight by the school uh, girls volleyball team, of not being able to name five friends, five friends or family even for the cell phone friends family plan. He just starts like bringing on and heaping on all this baggage onto himself. And that's what makes it even worse. He, He can't, Michael's issue here is that he wasn't able to focus on the specific incident and tease himself about it. He had to branch out and just realize, yeah, there's a lot of parts of my life that could be teased and it sucks. And then, of course, all of this turns on its head when Meredith gets her hands on the security footage from Raskin. Her roommate's somebody, I forget who, um, is the security guy there. And Meredith got her hands on the footage and she wants to show the office and Jim tries to dissuade them. Of course, I think that's maybe for two reasons. One of which is that he kind of swerved out of the way when Michael was falling. At first, it looks like solidarity to Michael, but 
when the footage is eventually played, the table kind of turns on Jim and now they don't feel so in the mood to mock Michael anymore. Now they're really questioning Jim's motive. See, I I definitely think that you could argue that he has that sort of dual purpose for keeping people from watching it. But I mean, I think, I think Jim was just generally being compassionate to Michael by trying to prevent the video being watched. We've seen him be compassionate in a few different ways in this episode. He gives him advice on dealing with the teasing. He does try and keep everyone else from watching the video of him falling. I, I think he was just, he, he realized that things had gone too far and that Michael really couldn't handle it. He says as much when he stops or is trying to stop everybody from watching. He says, Michael can't handle this right now. And so we're not going to watch it. And mm. he, he's, he's trying to be the boss. And I, 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 yeah, it sheds a bad light on him, but I don't think he maybe knew that in the moment that it was going to shine a light on him. So I think it was just Jim being compassionate to Michael and yeah, he's had a bad day. Let's, let's not try and make it worse for him right now. Right. Um, and plus if he had attempted to keep Michael from falling, he might've fallen in too, which I mean, I guess solidarity, we both <laughs> had fallen into the, the koi pond, but I mean, he's not wrong for not implicating himself and to go further. He gives a genuine apology to Michael after the video was shown. And he says, you know what? I, I just sort of froze up. I'm sorry. I should have helped you, but I didn't. And so I'm sorry about that. And I find it hard to fault Jim for any of that. Mm. And then he also uses that apology to bring up what was bugging him in the first place. So if he did consciously swerve out of the way, maybe that did happen. He said, look, I should have grabbed you. I'm sorry. I thought I could have done today's sales call alone. I mean, I may never be as good a salesman as you are, but at least need the chance to do the job. So he takes what happened today and uses that to talk to Michael about the real problem here, which is Jim needs to be trusted. And he flatters him in the, in the wake of that. He says, you are a great salesman. I may never be as good as that. Uh, and Michael just cannot fathom the idea that Jim is jealous of him. That completely blows his mind. Because even earlier when Michael was wearing uh, uh, Jim's suit, he says, I wish I had, I wish Jim had fallen into that koi pond and he'd have to put on my suit and it'd be too short. And no, he'd still look good. So (laughs) he's, he's always been a little jealous of Jim, you know, he's the handsome, suave guy. Um, But now Jim is jealous of Michael and he feels validated. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the episode, Mike or Jim had a talking head. He says, Michael's a great teacher. A teacher is someone who stands right next to you your whole life and never lets you do anything. That's what a teacher is, right? Uh, so Jim himself has sort of evolved in his position over the episode, going from sort of being bitter about Michael being asked along on this sales call uh, to sort of being thankful for Michael being the teacher, an example, and in I use this word lightly, being a role model for Jim insofar as being a salesman goes. But I mean, you have to circle back and think about how all of this was Michael's fault to begin with. Jim feels stifled having to share these responsibilities with Michael because Michael has this natural bias uh, in his favor because of his tenure in the position at Dunder Mifflin and it was Jim's initial proposal to David Wallace to have Michael promoted and stationed elsewhere, while Jim took the sole manager job at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. But it was Michael who resisted and sabotaged, and that's what led to this 
current situation and this episode. So um, Jim has reason to sort of be bitter, but I like that he has come to a point at the end of the episode where he's like, yeah, Michael is just trying to do his job too, but I want to have the chance to do my job. And they, they reconcile that with each other. And Michael is, as you were saying, he, he realizes that Jim thinks highly of him in certain regard as well. And he, he gives himself the opportunity and is able to laugh at himself because he realizes that having something embarrassing about yourself doesn't, really mean much in the scheme of things as long as you don't give it too much weight yourself so and then jim was getting kind of playfully mocked and kind of not playfully mocked by um some of the employees of the office kind of making fun of him for moving out of the way when michael's falling and i love 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 that michael stands up for jim it's such a nice bow tie on the end of the episode to me um oscar teases Jim and Oscar leaves and Michael says, Oscar's a douche. Jim says, no, he's all right. And Michael kind of, okay, yeah, I guess he's okay. And he holds open the door for Jim and they take a minute, they smile, he nods, thanks. And it was just such a, we're we're okay. We we both Mm -hmm. made mistakes. We're both okay. Michael, of course, then teases him back a little bit. Oh, almost fell. But (laughs) it's teamwork. It feels like at this point, they both messed up but they are both managers and it feels at this point, like it's going to be a smoother ride. Yeah. I like these episodes featuring them as co-managers because it gives them chance to have that conflict and then resolve it too, and to be better and closer by the end of it. So I really think they're in a better place together by the end of this episode than they were uh, even at their best in other episodes. They, they, they're they mm-hmm. st- sort of starting to understand each other more. Jim has always thought of Michael as this incompetent boss in some ways, but now that he's in the boss's shoes, he's seeing, well, some of this stuff isn't as easy as I thought it was, and Michael's just trying to cope as best he can. Yeah. The other half of the episode focuses mostly on Andy and Pam. Uh, The two worst salesmen for the quarter have to go out on cold calls. And so that partners them together. And Pam, at this point, should be noted, is very noticeably pregnant. And so they show up. A quick note. I kind of like Andy's singing the marquee at the start of the episode. Uh, But where it really starts to irritate me is when he, uh, when, when Pam cuts him off and he's like, that was going to resolve the melody. And now my head hurts. Like I held in a sneeze. I'm like, okay, I knew you in college. You need to stop. (laughs) Yeah. Such a pretentious, like music school nerd thing to say. Spoken by two music school nerds. Yeah, it's true. It's like the kind of person where like I was I, I would sing a pop song that was just like stuck in my head. And then somebody else was like, oh, I, I like that song. And they start joining in, but they have to sing it in the original key. And it, it's just like so obnoxious. Like, come on, you're not that snooty musician or you shouldn't be. There's no reason to be. But that's a quick aside. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh, uh, just a little bit upset while watching that with Andy last night. But the impetus of their storyline here is that when they first walk into the building the receptionist person assumes that Jim or no that Pam and Andy are together and Pam laughs at it she waves it off no way definitely not ha 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 that's so funny no and it hurts Andy's feelings 
Yeah, he says it looks like someone has the case of the definitelys. Um, she's just so emphatic about not being with him that it was a little, it was a little harsh. No, 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 no. I'm no, no, no. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. we are not together. No, it's unfair. Okay, I get it's. Yeah. Okay, we're not together. I get it. And so Andy, on their next meeting, returns the insult by being doubly rude to Pam and talks about his fake model girlfriend and that. Pam is their surrogate because it doesn't matter what Pam looks like. We're definitely not together. My model needs to, you know, keep her body looking good. And so um, Pam says, okay, well, that wasn't necessary either. Um, so on their third sales call, they kind of both just given, you know, they, they steer into the skid. Okay, we're together now um, for the purpose of this sales call, if it's going to get the job done. But Andy takes it a little too far again by kind of rolling with this story, they could have just said, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're excited about the baby. It's going to be great. But Andy starts talking about all this research he's done and birthing classes. And um, the client that they are meeting with says, oh, I have the best lady, Miss Janet. Andy knows about Miss Janet. He has done his research for some reason. <laughs> he knows where her office is located. Why? And then he puts his hand on. Pam's stomach and the baby starts kicking and he loses it. He just is so excited and wrapped up in the moment, which is kind of sweet, but it's kind of really creepy because it's not your wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's unfair for Pam to laugh the way she does because, yeah, Andy's a little bit of a weird dude. He's obnoxious sometimes, but he's sweet and he's kind. I mean, we saw how hard he tried with Angela and it's just. Angela that that failed him unfortunately. So when Andy starts overcommitting to things first to the opposite direction sort of a retaliatory reaction um trying to mimic Pam's dismissal of them possibly being in a relationship and then the other side of that when he does take it too far uh pretending to be her boyfriend or husband I, I guess it's like he has this problem with overcommitting to everything. It reminds me of Casual Friday back at the end of season five when, remember, they have that sales meeting or the secret sales meeting in the warehouse. And then when they come back up, Michael confronts them. And Andy's like, yeah, I have this whole story about what I ordered at the restaurant and the waitress's name and her hair color. And she convinced yeah. me to get a water instead of a soda, even though I wanted a soda. So it's not the first time we've seen this sort of overcommittal from Andy. But what I think the the research into the birthing classes itself sort of reveals is that Andy is just really lonely. And he says so much towards the end of the episode when they're on their way back to Dunder Mifflin. He's lonely and he wants a family. He says, I'm so sick of being single. And I feel for him a little bit. It is still kind of creepy that he knows about (laughs) Miss Janet and where she's located. But it it comes from a good place, I think. And, And it's not all too different from where Michael's coming from. And then they have a nice moment. Well, it leads into a nice moment. There's a moment in the car where Andy asks about Aaron. He's interested in her, which leads to later at the end of the day, Aaron asks Pam how her day went. Did they make any sales? Whatever. Pam almost blows it off, but then she remembers Andy's crush and she talks Andy up for him to Aaron. So sort of a, again, a nice tie on the end of the episode. Um, Everything ends nicely here. And that's really all of the A and B plot. Uh, just a couple small things. 
We don't hear Aaron say it, but her addition to the do not mock list is orphan. We see it written on the board. So now we know not only was she born apparently at five months in the pregnancy, but also she was an orphan. So that tells us a little bit more about her character. And we see some more weird receptionist quirks. Like we saw when Jim and Pam came back from their honeymoon, she was really weird about Pam putting candy on the receptionist desk. She had to ask for Michael for permission to put candy out. And so here, she wants to be given faxes upside down so that she doesn't accidentally read any private information, I guess, as if she's going to sit there and study it anyways. Whatever. It's just... (laughs) Her taking reception, and again, I don't mean to demean the position of reception. Uh, it, it's her just taking it a little bit too far. Too far, yeah. Yeah. What could possibly be on those faxes that Aaron, like, it's okay. It's office related. Yeah. It's, it's probably just like a sales form of some kind. Yeah. Like, it's not that big a deal. Uh, but moving on into funny moments, what do you have to start us out? At the beginning of the episode, Michael's raving to Jim about the garlic festival that he's going to go with with Helene. Uh, they have a TCBY booth. It's the same stuff you can get downtown, as if it's not one of the nation's largest frozen yogurt chains. Nationwide, not just <laughs> New York, Northeast, Philadelphia, whatever. And he, he, he tries to break down the TCBY acronym. He says, uh, I, I, I can't believe it's, it's not, I can't believe it's yogurt. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there it is. No, it's this can't be yogurt. TCBY. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> also, Michael won um, regarding Jim as manager. He has a talking head kind of riffing on why Jim isn't as advanced a co-manager as Michael is. He says, why would you date an amateur when you could date a professional? That's not what you think it is, Michael. That's not. A date. That's a different kind of date. (laughs) That is a professional date, and that is not that. Yeah. Go watch Pretty Woman. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Dwight, uh, which, by the way, Dwight does try and comfort Michael and prevent Michael from making fun of himself so he doesn't appear as lesser to his subordinates. Um, And during that scene, Dwight is trying to sort of put down Jim to boost Michael. He says he looks like Popeye's wife. Michael says, Wil- Wilma. Dwight pauses, thinks about it. See, that, that is funny. That is a joke. He's like, no way you think Popeye's wife is Wilma. And Michael says, wait, her, her name's not Wilma? <laughs> Just a little bit backwards. Just a little. A Toby one. Toby laughs when Michael shares that he has fallen into another fountain during the Do Not Mock list. He's fallen into the one at the Steamtown Mall as well uh toby laughs michael just stares at him and toby asks if he can be kicked out now of the meeting (laughs) he knows it's gonna happen anyway but michael just says go go yeah pam and andy in that moment where they're talking about sort of andy's dating ambitions uh he says what do you think of aaron she's kind of cool pam says eh and he says you think i can do better and pam says (laughs) <laughs> like she's not all that great but you can't really do that much better uh. this is one of the funniest moments to me in the whole episode i love it also on the do not mock list um ryan raises his hand and he says some of you may have noticed i'm in sort of a ill-defined relationship type of thing just put <laughs> kelly and kelly takes that as a compliment oh <laughs> <laughs> Just, I don't know why. It makes me laugh every time. 
Yeah. It, it's like Ryan is somehow more noncommittal to Kelly than Roy was to Pam. Yeah. So much somehow. more, it seems. Yeah. Because Roy, at the very least, and this isn't going to sound positive, and in a lot of ways it's not, but he claimed Pam. Pam was his woman, you know? Right. Which yeah. is a little barbaric, but um, I know Ryan mean, just kind of yeah. wants nothing to do with Kelly. Yeah, he wants the, the casual sex without the commitment. Yeah. Again, Pam talking with Aaron this time about Andy. Aaron says, he's the coolest person I've ever met. Pam says, uh, yeah, that's right. Like, he's like Marlon Brando. And Aaron pauses, clearly no idea who Marlon Brando is. I don't think she's ever dipped a toe in classic cinema. Says, do you mean Marlon Wayans? <laughs> because he is. And uh, the, the twist on the joke is, Pam says, you know what? I actually do mean Marlon Wayans. <laughs> Also love that Dwight's item on the do not make fun of list is his nose. Um, he is very self-conscious about his nose. I love how Rain Wilson acts this. I just think it's so, he just gets so small and he's just very mm-hmm. self-conscious about it. Like his nose. Yes, like his nose. <laughs> hey, we don't mock the nose. Um, <laughs> he says, it's too small. Oscar asks, can you breathe okay? Kelly says, what keeps your glasses on? Says, hey, it's on the list. It's on the list. <laughs> um, and he has a talking head where he says that the proportions of his face are perfect, except for one thing, his nose. It works mm. fine. It's just too small. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can still smell things. I just have to be a lot closer than yeah. those people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what it was. After Andy tanks that first sales call because he is so adamant, adamant that him and Pam are not together and that he's dating a face model and Pam's carry it, Pam is their surrogate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're, they exit the building and Pam says, you blew the sale, you idiot. And Andy says, let me tell you something. I was never going to make that sale. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's honest with himself, I guess. He knows his, his weaknesses. <laughs> Quick aside, it does seem kind of weird that they send the, the quote, worst salesman on the cold calls to get new clients. Yeah, I was wondering that too. But whatever. (laughs) Towards the end of the episode, Dwight is um, confronted with his feelings for Jim. He says, Jim is my enemy. But it turns out that Jim is also his own worst enemy. And the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Jim is actually my friend. But because he is his own worst enemy, the enemy of my friend is also my enemy. So actually, Jim is my enemy. But. (laughs) And he just. That is the perfect cut from the talking head where he's like about to continue the tangent. It's almost like the, the logic scene with the wine in the princess bride where Vizzini is like trying to battle back and forth in the battle of wits about which cup is, is poisoned yeah. and he, he just keeps circling back and forth and it's that same sort of thing. Yeah. It's a great cut. Yeah. It's so good. A couple of the things that also appear on the do not mock list Angela does not want to be mocked for her petite size. She says, I'm afraid of being thrown around like a football and for eating like a squirrel. And Phyllis says, oh, so now you're comparing yourself to a cute tiny animal. And then Meredith writes, sex with a terrorist on the board. Yeah. She says, I really didn't want to put it on the board, but I I thought maybe it was going to come out somehow. So uh, what are you going to (laughs) do? Not mention having sex with a terrorist. <laughs> that, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. 
Michael is outraged that Raskin Design wants him to pay for the koi that he killed, $300. They're big fish. <laughs> Michael says, what? I could get a fish for a five-cent worm. Anytime Creed has a speaking line, it has to make it into the funny moment, so we just mm-hmm. went ahead and added it. He says, oh, you're paying way too much for your worms, man. Who's your worm guy? So <laughs> we also know that Creed has a worm guy now. He does have a worm guy. And That's also- in regards to the do not mock list, he says, if I write it down, I can't be charged with it. And Dwight says, no, 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 no one said that. <laughs> no one said that. That's not how it works. <laughs> and then the, the last thing for me to mention as, funny, as far as funny moments go is all the fish jokes at Michael's expense. There's a whole scene chock full of them where first Aaron uh, greets Michael, says, David Wallace just called. He heard you made a big splash at the meeting. <laughs> and she immediately apologizes because apparently she was set up to uh, do that as a debt as a bet or a dare by kevin and uh so yeah she's apologi- apologetic then stanley says just ignore them you just ignore their carping and that <laughs> one dwight has to explain to michael because carp is both a fish and uh, uh a word that defines what they're doing right now teasing and jiding him creed asks hey boss did you find nemo <laughs> simple yeah, and Michael responds to that one. Hey, I can name, I can name Pixar movies too. Toy Story, Oscar. Don't you mean Koi Story? That was that was good. It was quick on his feet, quick thinking. That was good. And then Phyllis closes them out with, "When you fell in, did you flounder?" <laughs> and Dwight tries to explain that one too, but Michael knows what a flounder is. <laughs> and that was all of my funny moments as well. Okay. Uh, moving into deleted scenes, we only had a few. Um, First, Michael further critiques Jim's clothing for his meeting. We saw a bit of that in the episode. This time, it's about the tie. Michael is insistent that Jim needs to double dimple his tie and proceeds to then do it for Jim, but from behind Jim, because (laughs) he only knows how to do it from one direction. And it looks horrible. He calls uh, Jim a country pumpkin. I believe he means bumpkin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's a tiny moment where Kevin adds squishing sound effects to Michael's steps. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that made me laugh. Um, And then there's a tiny extension to Dwight's talking about his nose. And it's the smallest little thing, but it still made me laugh. He flares and unflares his nostrils a few times afterwards. He's like, yeah, I I I can still smell with it. I just have to be a lot closer than most people. And then he like, flares his nostrils back and forth and it's like this tiniest little thing but it cut it was cut out of the episode so it's worth mentioning angela and meredith tease each other about things on the do not tease list and we also learned that meredith's quote terrorist only wanted puerto rico to become a state and that was his act of crime so okay yeah, I, her her <laughs> definition of terrorist is uh ill-informed yeah uh which, by the way, that scene highlights the problem with Michael's Do Not Mock list, which is that you're bringing to light everything that people don't want to be mocked about, which is just going to get them mocked about it. Whereas otherwise, yeah. it probably would have never come to light. It's sort of like uh, a conflict resolution back in season two, yeah. where there was no conflict until Michael brought about the conflict. We get the full Koi Pond clip. It's a blessed gift. It is so good. <laughs> it's complete with sound. It's from a different oh. angle. Oh, it is glorious. First off, the, the koi pond is literally like 
two to three feet deep. It'd maybe go up to Michael's thigh at most. If that, it might even go up to his knee. But he just doesn't have the sense to stand up once he's fallen in it. It takes so long. <laughs> 38 it, seconds. It's, yeah. And it's a long 38 <laughs> seconds. And he's, I mean, floundering really is the best word. He yeah. just like flounces and can't stand up. And Jim just stands there like, dude. which by the way them not watching the entire clip uh, they they stop after jim sort of dodges out of the way as michael falls but the rest of the clip features jim kneeling down and trying to pull michael out so i mean he does help they just didn't wait around to watch it it was like they were trying to look for something to blame right but yeah the not standing up is (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like I mean, when I'm in the pool, I like to keep my chest in the water, no matter how shallow it is, just because, I mean, when you're wet and you're standing out of the water, you're cold, but that doesn't make right. sense when you're trying to get out of a two <laughs> to three foot pool. Right. And by the way, the koi fish were added in post-production because you don't see them in this clip. And I went back to the episode and you can actually see a few swimming around in the episode, that clip that they showed. I think I saw in this one, um, so there are two... Mm-hmm. It's probably one big koi pond with a walkway across. Mm-hmm. In the one that Michael didn't fall in, I thought I saw some. Um, yeah, that might have been the probably case. Probably added in, mm-hmm. but not in his his little pool. Okay, let's get into our discussion topic. Fun little question: What is on your do not mock list? Like, what is your do not mock Ooh. list item? And oh, I'm not gosh. looking for like a legitimate <laughs> like. This is a, a character flaw Katie has that we can't can't mock her about. I'm not looking Sex for that. Sex with the terrorist. Um, <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, mm, I have this really totally irrational hatred slash fear of stickers. Yes, you heard me. Stickers. I hate them. I think they're the grossest. I hate. I hate them. So I have. <laughs> I have my um, American workplace stickers, and I'm like. You're beautiful, and I love you, Aunt, with the backing on. But I can't, I can't make myself put them anywhere because I truly, I think they're the nastiest thing. Especially if like <laughs> hair or dirt gets on the back of them. Oh my gosh, I just <laughs> it's like makes my skin crawl. Ugh. Okay, everybody, you heard it. Do not mock Katie <laughs> about her fear of stickers. I feel like I'm going to get mocked for it. <laughs> <laughs> What's no, yours? I, I, I'm realizing I don't really have an answer too. So give me a second to think about it. Um, let's see. Okay, I, how, how about this one? So I went to school in Texas at Texas Tech in Lubbock. It's a five-hour drive, and it was sort of halfway is Abilene mm-hmm. in West Texas. And every single time, I stopped at the same subway, no matter what. And so it's like I, I'm this weird creature of habit. That's one example. Uh, there's another example where like I have to put the same number of ice cubes in my cup if I'm at my parents' house, but it's only there that it matters. <laughs> it's only at your parents' house. <laughs> it's like uh, this occasional obsessive compulsiveness okay. to myself where uh, like things have to be done a certain way or in a certain order or a certain number of times. Mm. Uh, that's a, the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is that. Borderline OCD. It's like, yeah, borderline obsessive compulsive. <laughs> B-O-C-D, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, moving on to our second episode of discussion, Double Date. It aired on November 5th, 2009, directed by Seth Gordon, written by Charlie Grandy. It is Helene's birthday, and yes, she and Michael are still dating. 
To celebrate, Michael is taking her out to lunch along with Jim and Pam, thus Double Date, who is still not happy about the two of them dating, but she is warming up to the idea. Things go well until Michael learns that Helene is more advanced in years than he thought, (laughs) and all of a sudden he feels the need to exit the relationship. An exit he does. It is really nice that Michael planned this birthday lunch. It's a very Michael thing to do. I think it's really considerate and kind. Of course, he admits that there are ulterior motives, that this was sort of to change Pam's mind on the relationship. But all things considered, I think it was a really nice thing. He gave Helene a pretty necklace and did this lunch and gave her another gift at um, at lunch. So I think it's, he's trying and I think it's a nice gesture all things considered before we dive into what makes this episode so awkward well we've seen that Michael is a good boyfriend I mean yeah him and Jan had their differences but that's because Jan was crazy too and yeah he had a couple creepy moments with Carol like photoshopping Mm -hmm. himself onto their family photo but I think especially after his time with Holly he's gotten better at being appropriately romantic So it is nice seeing how considerate he is with Helene and how he tries so hard to make her birthday special. It is interesting to see how sort of their relationship has progressed. They're at least sleeping over with each other in some capacity because she talks about how uh, he slipped the necklace on her neck while she was still sleeping. And so she woke up with the necklace on after he'd already left for work. And uh, that, that, causes Pam to raise an eyebrow because she knows what that implies. It's just so painful to see the contrast between really great dating Michael to I desperately need to get out of this relationship and so I'm going to sabotage it in the latter half of the episode. We get sort of a foil to a recent episode. Helene starts talking in the car about Pam's sales and how she and Michael have been talking about how she could improve her sales. Pam starts calling her Pammy. Um, This is sort of a foil to the lover when we see him try to act like Pam's dad or a father figure. So it's still happening. It's happening again, which just makes me so uncomfortable. Like he never would have called her Pammy until he heard her mom call her Pammy. And it's not, it's just weird and inappropriate to be talking about Pam's work um, and her performance on this double date with her mom and her boss. And it's just a really weird vibe right off the bat. Regarding Michael's shift in how he feels about Helene, the worst part is I understand his perspective. Michael has been vocal about wanting kids of his own this whole time. Helene is past that point in her life, but it's just the way he starts instantly seeking ways out of the relationship. Like they are at lunch for her birthday, and he has given over the gift. And he's like, okay, you finish your dessert because afterwards I'm going to have to tell you something terrible because clearly this cannot wait. This is such a pressing issue. I desperately need out of this relationship just because I have discovered that you're 58 years old. And it's tough because I I think his reasons for wanting to get out of the relationship are valid. I think getting out of the relationship is the right thing to do. But in typical Michael fashion, he just goes about it the complete wrong way. Yeah, that's that's what I put too, as I said. It's not what he said, it's how and where he said it. It was not the time to break up with her at this lunch. He needed to break up with her. They're in totally different places in their lives, but this is not the time. But it should be said that what spurred this on was 
when he started realizing Helene's age, she said she doesn't want to travel anymore. She's done with long plane rides. That kind of flipped the first switch. And so Michael starts to quiz her. He says, I want to do a triathlon. Do you want to do that? And she says, no, it doesn't interest her. And he goes, okay, good. Well, it's, it's, it's a matter of interest then, right? And he starts to just, the, the gears have, have started and he sees the age. Jim and Pam are talking about what Helene wants to be called uh, as a grandmother. And just hearing the word grandmother, oh my gosh, she's going to be a grandmother. That is just so significant. And he freaks. And that's, that's okay. I get it. You're dating a woman who's quite a bit older than you, and she's passed. She's, she's done everything that he wants to do. And I think it's important that your partner be kind of where you are in life, and she's not where he is. So I agree. It's, it's, not, it's not the reason that's the problem. It's the execution. Mm-hmm. It's about possibility, and it's about the freedom of choice. It's mature. Like, it's legitimately mature of Michael to realize that he does want to grow old with someone. Not meet them there. <laughs> right. It's the, the way he handles the situation, though, shows that he does still have some growing up to do in other areas. So they're broken up. They go back to Dunder Mifflin, and now Pam is pissed because she was finally starting to warm up to the idea and was seeing how happy Michael was with her mother and how happy... Michael made her mother. And so how can she fault Michael for wanting to to be with her if they make each other happy? Like Pam is finally being reasonable about that after being such a child in that episode, uh, The Lover. But now Michael, he's got Pam upset at him again. And this time it's not because she's being a child. It's just because he screwed, screwed things up. Uh, so he bribes her with a raise <laughs> and she she is not so much interested in the bribe but when michael mentions the possibility of do you want to hit me she says yes that's the thing i want to do i want to hit you as hard as i can and <laughs> when he when it comes time for the hit they meet in the parking lot so it's not on company property uh even toby's okay with it since it's not on company property and gives her tips on how to hit uh, Michael gives a genuine apology as he's sitting there sort of waiting for the hit. He says, I'm sorry for so many things. I'm sorry for dating your mother. I'm sorry for breaking up with her on her birthday. And I promise not to date anyone else in your family again. And then he has to sort of ruin the moment by saying, she came on to me though. <laughs> and that's that's what Pam had sort of resolved to just walk away at that point. But nope, turn around, let him have it. And it's it's more the emotional weight of being slapped by Pam that upsets Michael, I think. But I think he also realizes that it's more or less what he deserved. I agree with you. I think Michael was mature in a sense uh, to, to realize that he broke up with a woman because she wasn't right for him. And that the fact that he broke up with somebody at all is impressive because normally it's, oh my gosh, a woman wants to be with me. Let's cling. And he didn't cling, uh, which is growth. But mm-hmm. clearly he has some more growth to, uh, to grow. Well, I want to I want to highlight his final moments of the episode because this is after the slap. He has a talking head where he says, as I watched Pam's big, strong hand coming towards my face. (laughs) That's funny. But he says, I saw my entire life flash before my eyes. And guess what? I have four kids. I'm going to skip some of this because I want to highlight the significant parts. I have four kids. My wife is a runner and it shows Pam and Jim are my best friends and our kids play together. 
and I'm happy. It doesn't sound like much, but it's enough for me. And again, I'm skipping some funny stuff. And so I think there, it's, that's again showing that there are parts of that that show that this was ultimately the right move for Michael. Even if he went about it in the usual Michael way, i.e. the wrong way, <laughs> he, he did do the right thing. Like the outcome of them being broken up was the right thing for him in what he's wanting for his life. But anyways, we, we've said that a few times, but I just wanted to right. reiterate because that's, that's a great talking head. So our B plot here is sort of an odd one. There's Dwight and Andy um, who are in a politeness battle um, (laughs) of owing each other favors. So Dwight is trying to get everyone basically to owe him something so that he can use that to get Jim demoted or fired. That's in the long run. So he starts that plan today. He goes to New York. Well, he goes all the way to New York and gets H&H bagels with these famous good bagels in new york he brings them back to scranton that was his initial favor so that everyone would quote owe him one andy however is mr manners and returns the favor right away he says you give me a gift bam thank you note you invite me somewhere pow rsvp (laughs) and he just he's all about you know paying that right back do not test my politeness (laughs) do not test my politeness so dwight now needs that favor owed to him so he has to do something back it's just all day back and forth and back and forth and i'm sure we'll go into some of the funnier moments later but andy says what if dwight dies and i still owe him something that's a recipe for a ghost (laughs) so he feels this need to pay back this favor immediately he doesn't want to owe anybody anything did you mention dwight's reason for wanting everybody to owe him one yeah, so that he could get back at Jim and, and ha- have him fired, basically. Yeah, he's wanting to, like, it's almost like staging a coup uh, yeah. with everybody involved. And it's so silly because you owe me one is, number one, super pretentious and assuming. Like, here's yeah. a bagel. Now you owe me one. Like, shut up. Mm. Don't be a douchebag. <laughs> it's a bagel. <laughs> and then... uh Number two, even if they did owe you one, you don't get to necessarily choose how someone pays you back and when and in what way. It's like he's presuming a lot and you're just being foolish, Dwight. And all the back and forth politeness is, it's just ridiculous. And that does culminate in, at the end of the day, he's helping Michael to sort of nurse his red face with his frozen chicken uh, after the slap. Michael says, I owe you one. And Dwight immediately tries to cash it in and says, fire Jim. Okay, you're not going to fire Jim? At least promote me so we have tri-managers. Oh, you're not going to do that either? Give me an office. And Michael refuses all of them. And so Dwight takes his chicken away, says, this is my meal. I'm taking it. You can keep your stupid favor. It's worthless, he says. Yeah. Anything else to mention? No, I had a couple fun trivia things that I just wanted to go over real quick the first i actually meant to mention last episode um remember we mentioned the deleted scene for mafia where jim and pam are on their honeymoon and uh aaron is cleaning pam's picture of the office building and it seeps in so we see that officially that painting is gone and its place is a golf motivational poster so i just wanted to highlight that they are at least consistent with that deleted scene um lending credence 
to the deleted scenes. And also, H&H, I just wanted to further explain what it is because it's interesting. It actually ended back in 2012, or at least the, the original owned ones did. Yeah. And uh, it's because the, the owner was indicted for tax evasion. $369,000 in taxes. Um, yeah. <laughs> there is a new one. Yeah, there uh, is one I, by non-owners or the yeah. different people. So they're they're bringing it back, but uh, the original, the OG H and H, they are out. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mention that is because Dwight gets Stanley a special pumpernickel bagel, and I never really understood the significance of that. It's because pumpernickel. Yeah. It, it's not because pumpernickel is Stanley's favorite. It's because pumpernickel no. is cholesterol free and low fat, thus Stanley's oh. high roll. Yeah. I took it because it was of dark color. Maybe that too. <laughs> that, hence the eye roll. I, I, that, that's a possibility, but I, I, I think the, the other thing lends some weight as well. I, I looked it up. I was like, yeah. what is it, what's special about pumpernickel and why would Stanley roll his eyes at it? And w- what I could tell, cholesterol-free and it's low fat. So he doesn't have to worry about it damaging his heart. See, that's a glass half full approach to it. Because um, <laughs> I, I had never noticed the difference really. I was like, why pumpernickel? And I had never bothered to look it up, except this time watching it, I was like, that's a darker bagel than all the other bagels. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be all of the above. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about funny stuff? <laughs> this one makes me laugh out loud every time Helene um, is making a big show about wait a minute, is this another gift for me? Because you already got me a necklace. And she kind of shows it off. And the camera goes to Kelly. She says, oh my God, I love it. And she looks at the camera and shakes her head. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. And then Michael says, the rest of the story has been censored because of inappropriateity. There's a Michaelism. And then Kevin says, because of sex. (laughs) Michael says, please, Kevin, you're fired. And Kevin like looks over at Jim, like concerned for his job. And Jim just, no, don't worry about it. He just shakes his head. (laughs) Such a good scene. Pam has Aaron fake a phone call from a client saying that there was a shipping emergency so that Pam wouldn't have to go out to lunch. They are on the way out of the door. And Pam has set this up already. Jim, of course, picks up on this and answers the phone call, the quote phone call for Pam. And all he says is, hello? Well, that's great, and hangs up. <laughs> Turns out the paper was there all along. Creed relaxes and says, oh, thank God. And he has a talking head. He says, something's up. That paper was never supposed to arrive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it didn't, because it's a fake phone call, so it's fine. Uh, the poem that Michael puts in the scrapbook he made for Helene, another sweet thing he does, <laughs> is mostly the first few lines of a poem by Shel Silverstein, which Jim does point out in the episode. And the, the poem is called Sick. And so the, the poem, if you read it, it has nothing to do with like love or relationship or anything. It's just like, I think Michael opened a poetry book thinking poetry is romantic, right? So poetry book, boom. And like wrote down the first one he saw and then added a line that would rhyme with Helene. And that's it. Yeah. Michael creativity. Boom. (laughs) And he even says, I think I plagiarized that. (laughs) Yeah. Straight up. He did. (laughs) On the car ride home from lunch. So on the way there, it was Michael driving Helene in the front, Jim and Pam in the back. On the way home, it's Michael and Jim up front and the women in the back. And Helene's talking about her age and what she's supposed to do next. Michael tries to offer some advice. (laughs) Jim's just like, stop. Stop talking. 
Yeah, I love how Jim just sort of sort of shuts Michael down, and we actually see a couple more of those in the deleted scenes as well. Uh, yeah, it's just like, nope, stop. You're making it worse. Do not do it anymore. After Pam has threatened Michael with the 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 hitting him as hard as she can, he goes to Jim. Says, you know, do you, do you guys ever get frisky? And I just wrote, uh, she's pregnant. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you do the <laughs> mental math. <laughs> and he says, you know, can you talk her out of this? Jim says, you know, I can. But, you know, I also understand her reasoning. And she wants this, Michael. And sometimes she just gets crazy and she, she wants this bad. <laughs> Michael just looks more and more, more, and more concerned because Jim's not helping to alleviate his fears of getting hit by Pam. Earlier in the episode, Andy has um, his final act of favor to Dwight is to get him a Starbucks gift card. But it's from everybody from uh, but it's from everybody in the office. It's a fifteen dollar value. So Mm. everyone contributed, what, seventy five cents a dollar? Yeah. And I'm sure that more than pays back the the drive to New York and back and the bagels themselves and then the lunch. Well, he didn't buy the lunch, but yeah, still. Yeah. $15. <laughs> I, I briefly sort of alluded to this earlier. Toby approaches Pam about the hit. You, you know, you think, okay, it's HR. He's probably trying to shut this down. He's going to dissuade her from hitting Michael, especially because just a couple episodes ago in The Lover, when uh, Michael sort of buddied up to him to sort of get him on his side to sort of make Pam stand down and be nicer to him, we saw him try and do that. But now, he goes to Pam and says, oh, by the way, um, the power of the punch sort of comes from the back foot. You just got to twist. And so he's giving Pam hitting advice on how to hit Michael even harder. And I love that the camera is angled so that we just see Michael watching them do this. <laughs> yeah, he's-, he's watching his like worst enemy <laughs> teach Pam how to punch him harder. Yeah. Um, also regarding the punch, Ryan and Kelly enter Michael's office. And Ryan says, quick question. Are you scared? <laughs> Michael says, never. About what? <laughs> a little. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so he's just scared, just generally in his head yeah, all the time. Apparently. Uh, Meredith, when they're, they're all waiting in the parking lot after work for the punch to happen. And Meredith says, okay, everybody, he's not in the men's room. Although the seat was warm. So we may have just missed him. So she's going around like investigating in the men's room and touching the toilet seat to see if anybody was been sitting there recently. It's just no, Meredith, th- th- there needs to be a boundary somewhere. And you went well, past a couple of them. Once you've had sex with a terrorist, all boundaries are out. <laughs> Boom. Do not mock list, Katie. <laughs> Sorry. Post punch, Pam knocks his lights out and she says, are you okay? Michael says no, and then limps off. <laughs> and even Dwight says, "Why are you limping?" He goes, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe just one more for me. Ryan has a very pretentious photography hobby, and he has brought it into the workplace, taking black and white photos of random objects and coworkers. So before it was the fedora, um, now it's his film camera that he carries around everywhere. So. It's it's a an iteration on the same pretentious Ryan. Mm-hmm. At first, I had forgotten that entire like the what happens in the in its entirety in that scene, and so I was like, he totally just like downloaded these from the internet and is trying to pass them off as his own. But then he shows Aaron 
the photos of Kelly Topless, just like casually, like this is part of my new exposed in the workplace series or whatever. And it's like, no, stop it. Don't Mm -hmm. exposed. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. (laughs) Okay. What about deleted scenes? Deleted scenes. Um, Michael attempts a Chinese fire drill (laughs) in the car, which is where you switch places with everyone in the car at a red light. No one else participates though. Um, So it's just Michael running around and cars are honking. Yeah, that one's pretty good. And the he puts ticket stubs in the scrapbook of a movie they went and saw together uh, for a movie called Love Happens, which, by the way, is supposedly pretty awful, according to the critic reviews <laughs> I saw. Um, <laughs> that's aside the point. But the way they got the tickets, because Helene points out, I threw mine away. And Michael says, yeah, I did, too. But I went yesterday again with Dwight because I wanted to see it again, actually. And Dwight wanted to see it. So we saw it. and. It's a super rom-com, so I, I just love the, this idea of him and Dwight watching it together. A really, really great deleted scene. Kevin has a talking head where he says that he's really excited that Dwight will be making everyone's tacos. He loves tacos. Every time he tries to make a taco, he gets too excited and he crushes it. So he's excited that Dwight will be taking the stress out of taco making. So Dwight hands him the first taco that he has made. And as soon as it reaches Kevin's hands, Kevin just crushes it with excitement. (laughs) (laughs) I'd seen that talking head before of Kevin talking about how excited he gets eating tacos and he just crushes them. Uh, But it was nice to sort of see it in context. We got an official confirmation of Michael's age. I don't know if we'd had that before in the deleted scenes. He says, Helene... Being with Helene is like closing the book on a big chapter of my life, the chapter titled Age 46 to 58. So she's 58, implying that he's 46 now. So yeah, it was just interesting to to get a little bit of a confirmation. And in that same uh, talking head, he likens dating older women to dating Oprah. That, uh, she can use her life experience to help others. <laughs> Michael is breaking up with Helene at lunch, and Jim kicks Michael under the table. Michael doesn't understand where this kick is coming from. He goes, well, did you guys just get kicked? <laughs> Jim says, no, I kicked you, so you would stop. <laughs> Didn't work. And similar to that, in the car, Helene is asking from the backseat, you know, what, ma- what makes me pick these loser guys? And he tries to interrupt and saying, well, I don't know about, and Jim says, nope, nope, stop it. Like, you don't get a say in this. Stop it. No. Nope. Maybe the last one I want to mention, um, Ryan attempted a photo of Pam hitting Michael, but he ended up missing it. When he's showing everyone what he took, he says, uh, it's what I thought would tell the story better. Oscar says, no, that's my shoes. And Ryan just curses, like, <laughs> why are you ruining this for me? Last one for me. When Dwight leaves the room, we see Andy sort of trying to rally everybody to reward Dwight for being so nice. He says, you know, Dwight is trying really hard to be nice today, which is really hard for him. So we should reinforce that behavior. Says, you know, it wasn't too long ago, old Andy Bernard had a temper problem. And it was a kind words from another person, i.e. his anger management sponsor, (laughs) that helped him through. So we need to be that other person for Dwight. And so that's how that comes together. And I highly doubt anybody except himself contributed to that gift card. Yeah, I feel like not. So our discussion topic, I don't have a succinct way of putting this, so I'll try my best. Michael showed an actual genuine kindness and really seemed to like Helene until the age difference became a problem. He said, I love you. And let's keep in mind that 
Pam and Jim have been married for 30 days, says Helene, which would mean that their relationship is a month old. Do you think Michael really thought that he had feelings for her? Did he really have feelings for her? I'll leave it there. Um, it is tricky because he is very considerate. But I would almost peg this just the way Michael was sort of Helene's rebound after seeing her ex-husband with a younger woman at the wedding. This is Michael's first person to date in any capacity since um, Holly. And so I, I think in some ways it's his rebound. And I think you have to consider that he went to the wedding, yes, to support Jim and Pam, but also he was very intentional in his, well, he was very outspoken in his intentions to bed a woman. Yeah, and that's fair. And he was successful. And yeah, it lasted longer than just a one night stand. But I don't know. I, I, I find it hard to think of it as completely genuine, despite his sweetness, just because of the circumstances under which their relationship started on both sides. Yeah. And I feel like Michael's the kind of guy that he would probably say, I love you on the first date, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, we're dating now. I, that means I love you. With other girls, he seemed really giddy and head over heels but this is like the first time it looks like helene seems more into michael than he is into her yeah so i i agree i just wanted to get your thoughts on that okay well that is the end of the official 58th of an american workplace contact for the show facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on twitter please consider going over to apple Podcasts on your computer or phone and reviewing and rating us and maybe even subscribing and if you have any feedback or ideas or just want to chat and say hi you can email us at workplacepod at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white and the best place for me is on Twitter as well, at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Oh, goodness. I don't know how many I said. I think it was right. Okay. Try again. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave it. You guys can figure it out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. There is my other podcast as well called Cinescope, and you can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline, notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, ew, stickers, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 58 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 59 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season six. Two very good episodes, I might add. Murder and shareholder meeting. Bye. Bye. Oh, that is too perfect. Uh, It was perfect timing. Oh, real quick before we like officially get started, uh, we could leave the recording going. But uh, the new Spider-Man video game came out on PS4 over the last week. And you're like straight up traveling around open world Manhattan. (laughs) And so I was like, I was here and now I was here and I was here. And so I was like swinging it around the streets of New York, exploring. (laughs) It's like Google Earth. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. That's funny. I mean, it's not like entirely uh, accurate. 
Is there something going on on my street? I don't know. Um, let's find out, because this, be, this could be interesting. Well, there is. Um, hopefully it will pass soon, because... <laughs> it sounds like a cruise ship is outside your door. <laughs> it, there is. I moved. I'm on the water side now. Wouldn't that be nice? No, um... Traffic on the bridge. It's okay. We'll well we'll deal with it if if, wanna... it, if it pops up um, while you're talking, then just like maybe pause and then restart your last and, thought. Yeah. Um, cool. But if it's while I'm talking, I can just keep going and we'll edit it out. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Welcome to New York. Right. Yeah, not kidding. Okay. <clears throat> Let me, I need to go post, publish now. Okay, now we have people joining us live. Okay, I had the link ready to go. I just hadn't posted it. We're a mess. It happens. <laughs> I had a student climb into a band locker in eighth period today and break the shelf. And so I wrote the first violation I've ever written as a teacher because this kid climbed into a locker and broke it. Middle schoolers, uh, man. Yeah, yeah, middle schoolers. Um, okay, so getting back to the office. 